Hey, this is Andrew, host of Madison Bookbeat. Just want to let you know that the audio quality in about the first 10 minutes of this show is not super great, but we do fix it as the show continues, so please keep listening. Hello, friends, and welcome to Madison Bookbeat, your listener-sponsored community radio home for Madison authors, topics, book events, and publishers. I'm your host, Andrew Thomas. Our guest today is Jamika Williams for a conversation on her 2022 Brittingham Prize-winning debut poetry collection, American Sex Tape, TM, published last November by the University of Wisconsin Press. Jamika Williams holds an MFA in poetry from Northwestern University. Her poetry has been published in Prelude Magazine, Muzzle Magazine, and Gulf Coast, among others. A Pushcart Prize nominee, she resides in Chicago, Illinois. Brittingham Prize judge and poet Brian Teer describes American Sex Tape TM as a collection split between a love of watching and the fear created by it. Williams demolishes misogynist, racist logic with weaponized line breaks and wrecking ball wit. Looking directly into the camera, William writes about taking back power and the thin line between pleasure and collusion. Complex and messy and necessary and all the ways sex is, Tier concludes, American sex tape TM is brilliant black feminist truth. Jamika Williams, welcome to Madison Bookbeat. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great having you on the show today. Uh, so, Jamika, there is so much to talk about in American Sex Tape. Um, I've, I reread it again last night. Uh, I was listening to a playlist that you actually made uh, to go to go <laughs> along with it. We'll have to talk about that later, but I do want to talk about music. But there's so much to talk about. There's, there's sex and its commodification through uh, all the screens that we have in our daily lives. Uh, you talk about beauty standards uh, in the white world, the spectacle of celebrity and one's own hyper self-conscious self-presentation. There's a lot about uh, self-performance. Talk a lot about American, uh, the violences of American racism and, and imperialism. And then there's Kim Kardashian. There's, yes. there's, there's <laughs> lots of Kim Kardashian, which I was loving. Um, well, I want to talk on all this. I thought we might start with what you've described in another interview as the addiction to looking or being seen. So for those of you who haven't yet read American Sex Tape, it's divided into two sections. The first section is scopophilia, uh, which means I love to watch, and scopophobia, uh, which you wrote as I cannot look. So can you just begin by kind of laying out why you decided to structure the novel this way, specifically around the visual? Um, I think for me, a lot of the, the, the poetry began with inability to stop looking and stop observing things. I think, um, and in many ways, American culture is just overstimulated visually in that way. Um, and so all these observances, all this kind of taking in and consuming visual media, digital media, um, it really started to become the, the moment where I became very conscious of like my, my obsession with looking. Um, and so many of these poems have a, a tinge or a motif of that. It's like you're, you're, you're bearing witness to something you don't like, which is racism or sexism or your own commodification in, in, in popular culture. Um, Kim Kardashian, you're bearing witness to Kim Kardashian. Why don't you just look away, Jamika? Why, why are you still stuck looking <laughs> at these things? I think that was a, a, a thing that I really wanted to tap into when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm, there's self-critique here, not just like the critique of American culture being una unable to sort of look, at, look away. Um, and when it came down to it, when I was sort of in the, the, the home stretch of finishing this collection, I needed something structural to really um, give, give the book 
um, another like another another set of ideas to hang itself on. I think uh, uh, without the kind of dividing the sections into this idea of the the scopophilic, which um, actually comes from um, a feminist cinema, uh, a feminist film theory idea from Laura Mulvey of like the the male gaze or just the kind of cinematic gaze that has power and uh, scopophobia being this um, thing I kind of uh, took from Alfred Hitchcock in the sense of like, we, we, we don't want to see the unknown, although we know what's lurking. We don't want to look at our monsters, but yet we, we can't turn away. Um, the book needed it in that kind of final editing stage. At that point, I had a general order for the poems, but didn't feel like oh, wow, how am I really going to sort of bring this motif forward? And it kind of revealed itself. It was like, oh, yeah, um, this this book is moving in the, um, various directions around sort of the idea of looking for pleasure and looking out of fear. And so that's sort of um, a long-winded answer, <laughs> but something I really like. It, it illuminates so much because as as Brian Tier described it and as as I've seen that you describe in, in in another interview, you talk about the messy nature of some of these poems. So trying to trying to wrangle them into some kind of um, into some kind of form, right? Uh, having or as, as as you say, kind of having a way, having a place to hang to hang your hat with the book. It, it seems like a really useful way of thinking about that. And you talk about you talk about self critique. Is that is that because are you trying to push back against the idea of simply just being like a passive receiver of all these images, like on our phone or or or, or on the screens? Are, are are you trying to suggest that we as as viewers who can't look away from all these different things that are going on around us, whether it be uh, structural racism, whether it be U.S. empire? whether it be something as silly as Kim Kardashian losing a pearl earring uh, and freaking out about it. Um, is, is, is there something that you're trying to say is that we're not simply just passive viewers or witnesses to this, that we do have a part in this? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think early on, writing the poems, and, and I, I have to owe so much um, to Northwestern's MFA program, specifically um, Dr. Simone Mensch, who worked with me from the beginning on this book, um, there was almost this kind of, these, these poems had a lot of sort of anger and pointing the finger at the, the outside world or the American audience, right? And she, she pushed me to be like, hey, you're a part of this too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that's where the self-critique element comes from. Um, but even in that, that that insistence of like, oh yeah, I'm a watcher too. I'm a voyeur too. With the rest of you know the American public who loves pop culture, who loves sort of seeing all of our kind of political vices on display, um, critique also pushes you towards wanting to be a more active participant in your in your liberation from those things. Um, you can't kind of sit here and write you know several you know hundreds of poems, some that don't even make the book. And, and then not feel like, oh, wow, um, I am not some, some, some victor, victim of my voyeurism. I, I, I have to be a part of having this conversation about sort of what we look at and what we glean from that. And the, the power lies in those, those um, dynamics of who's watching, who's being watched, how they're being watched, um, and, and what kind of agency that kind of strips from them. Um, I think a lot of these poems begin with um, a lot of the pointing outward at a, you know, a anonymous you, which I, I imagine as like the American public, as the American audience. And then there's a lot of shifts towards the the personal and towards the, the I speaker of the poems, myself, um, more, um, more frankly of like, well, you, you're in the audience too. And you're all, and you've also been on that stage and you've also been watched as a black person, as a woman, and you, you don't like it either. Um, and so it's a lot of that kind of metaphorical turning of the camera away from 
you know, say what I want to criticize and turning it towards myself and maybe turning it back or turning it away. Um, I wanted that kind of disorientation of what are we looking at and what are we observing? And, and don't, don't you think we should think more deeply about what we're observing? Um, um, I, I wanted that to be sort of the, the fun of this collection for readers of that, that sense of there's always a camera um, in these, these poems. There's always someone looking, some kind of either big metaphorical eye or a literal camera that's trained on Kim Kardashian or any of our like kind of pop cultural obsessions. Yeah. I, I love, I love the, 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 the kind of quick whipping back and forth of these different perspectives. And, and, and I, I like to your point, it's, it's, it, 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 it it could be tempting to take a kind of holier than thou position as one simply just kind of observing, observing the, the, uh, the situation playing out in front of you. And I love how so many of these poems implicate you as the viewer, but then it's also seeing you, uh, having fun as, 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 as the viewer, as some of these crazy things are unfolding. Uh, you are listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I am your host, Andrew Thomas. And today we are talking to Jamika Williams about her 2022 poetry collection, American Sex Tape. Uh, today also marks the second week of our winter pledge drive, and we are trying very hard to get folks to really think long and hard about what WORT means to them, what it means to this community. And one of the things that we've been talking about lately is financial assistance. You know, we, 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 we rely on your financial support as, as listeners. There's another huge component about WORT that is also important to keep in mind and that it is a hub for volunteerism. Um, I came to WRT last, I believe it was last May, maybe last June. Um, I have very little background training in soundboard engineering. I had no experience being on the radio. I was not a communications major in college. I came here and I initially worked with Sholly and I worked with Rochelle and now I'm working with Jade. Um, amazing, uh, amazing producers, amazing uh, and they do amazing work in the newsroom, willing to take somebody, take somebody very green, take somebody very new and teach them the skills that they need to be on the radio. Um, I was I never anticipated having a segment on Madison Bookbeat when I initially uh, signed up for this. I never imagined getting the opportunity to. Uh, be behind the soundboard with global revolutions and get to play some music from my own local uh, from my own personal record collection so WORT it is a great opportunity for those of you out there who are trying to find ways to get plugged in and get involved in your community I I don't think I'm inflating this number but I think it's over 200 something volunteers that help out here at here yeah, or TJ. I think we have um, at least a couple hundred people who are donating um, or who are donating their time weekly um, or, or monthly in some cases if they're part of a collective. Um, so so like your, your show, they're only on the air um, once a month. Uh, but we have something like 200. And then around this time of year, we have lots of other people who come out and they start supporting us um, by coming and answering the phones. Like we have uh, Mary Joy out there right now answering the phones. We also have people who um, come in and they participate in... Um, in ways like coming and, and supporting us at Wartstock or they, they come to different events that we're out in the community. So this network of volunteers that make the station happen is huge. And, um, you know, I know that a lot of our volunteers are also listener donors. Um, but if it just doesn't work in your schedule right now to volunteer, um, being a donate, being someone who donates whatever, whatever you can literally brings us on the air. Yeah. Um, again, so the phone number here is 608-256-2001, extension 1, or you can go online um, to wortfm.org. And, um, you know, this is this is live radio, so sometimes we have little tech issues, but I think that we um, are back on and ready to jump back into the conversation if you're ready, Andrew. It keeps us on our toes. It keeps us yeah. on our toes. All right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guests back on. 
All right, and you are listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I am your host, Andrew Thomas. And today we are talking to Jamika Williams about her 2022 debut poetry collection, American Sex Tape TM. So, Jamika, one of the things that we've uh, been talking about so far is uh, just the, the the different perspectives that you are bringing uh, to these issues of of uh, systemic racism, of popular culture, of of the commodification of sex, and um, and you're really getting your audience to think a lot about 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 the visual through throughout this and the visual world that that constantly surrounds us. And yet you're a poet. You're somebody who works who works with language. You're you're a wordsmith. You're you are in a very non-visual medium. So I'm I, I guess I'm curious to hear you talk about is did you have any discoveries as a poet, as somebody who uses his uses his who uses language as their primary artistic medium? Did you have any discoveries as a poet as you were writing about the visual? Did language help you explore things about the visual that maybe uh, you hadn't thought about before? Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, I think one of um, the benefits of being a millennial <laughs> is that um, you kind of grow up with a visual literacy <laughs> that is um, unmatched, you know, having had a childhood pre-internet <laughs> and then being just having a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a teenage adolescence now, you know, sort of late 20s, early 30s when I was writing um, this book, having just been so remarkably um, overwhelmed with the visual. Um, I think being a, a, a student of language is a part of sort of learning what, um, how to read images. And I think that was that was kind of a key starting point for a lot of this book. I mean, it, it started really with like wanting to write these persona poems about Kim Kardashian. And so I had to look at Kim Kardashian. I had to look at her and look at her Instagram and, you know, watch clips from her show. Although I, I, I tried not to watch the whole thing because I would lose my mind. Um, but it, it's amazing kind of practice for, learning what are the, the visual language, what, is, what are the tropes for how do we signify sex on, visually, and then how do we put that into um, aesthetic, creative, metaphorical language for the poem. That's a lot of what I was doing. Um, it felt like it came very naturally at some point. Um, I kind of have a tin ear, so I'm not great with meter, but I can, I can describe, you know, I can describe a picture. I can describe an image pretty well. Um, and sort of, it became hand in hand in that way. Um, it, at, at some point there felt like I was like a deconstructionist or I was, you know, um, Michel Foucault or, or so, one of those kind of media theorists who spent so much time just looking at images, um, looking at sort of how we construct um, sort of film scenes or how we construct um, sort of the language of, say, race on screen or even in, you know, our everyday social media, how we, how we post, how we filter, how we do those things. Those became elements of the poetry themselves. Um, trying to speak to living in a very visual world. Beyond, beyond just, beyond just the, the language itself, you know, as I just, somebody who picks up a copy of your book and just kind of flips through it. One of the things that they're going to notice is that there's a, there's a wide variety of ways that text is represented on, on, on the page. You know, there's a lot of different kind of poetic forms that you seem to be engaging with here. And some of which, some of which would look, uh, you know, kind of like standard poetic stanzas. Others, it's, it's more visually striking, you know, it, it, the, Mm -hmm. the ways in which language is, is arranged on the page, um, is, 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 is poetic form that, that, you know, is, is sonnets, you know, you, you, you just said not, not, not really being invested in meter. Is that something that's at the foreground when, when you were during the composition process for you, or is it more kind of idea, idea driven? Um, like you said, creating an image. Um, yeah. What, 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 what's guiding the composition process yeah. here? Um, 
ideas come first for me. I don't know if that's a bad thing <laughs> in the in the poetry world. Ideas come first for me. A lot of times, um, snippets of conversation, things I've overhear, tweets, um, kind of images I have kind of stuck in my head of like, oh my gosh, I saw this this thing on the, the L the other day. I need to write it down. That's sort of the starting place for a lot of my poetry. I find form later when I'm editing and revising and trying to see sort of how the the narrative of the poem um, will turn out if I, instead of doing, you know, uh, four four line stanza, what if what if this text was blocked, or what 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 does it mean um, for the poem to be shaped visually different than sort of any other typical thing? I mean, I think it was funny, um, sort of coming down to the wire editing this book. The majority of it is in free verse, and a lot of times I was trying to create my own forms or trying to play around with um, looser structures. And then, sort of last minute, I decided to throw the cento in, which is an actual like poetic form. And I was like, well, this this is this is easier for me to write than a sonnet, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of times the form finds me later. It, it really is a part of the revising editing. You know, I kind of just have to throw a lot of stuff down on the digital page, just lots and lots of lines. And then I, I try to actually tighten up the poem with a form or with a, a more structured sense of sort of where movement is going line-wise. What, what's the punchline or what's the turn of the poem? Where should it be placed? Um, and so that's sort of how I kind of work. That, that, that seems like very strong writing advice too, is that, or I, I would like to take that as strong writing advice, even for, <laughs> for, for myself and, and my, and my own creative endeavors, but you, you find form through revision and it's, it's the, right. the, the initial, the initial task is getting those ideas down onto the page and then, and then and then kind of trying to wrestle them into something yeah. something more more formal. So I want to get to this very first poem that opens uh, the collection, American Sex Cento. Um, but before we do, we need to talk about one other thing. Uh, and another, it's another way that you use language is that you curse a lot in, in, in this collection, <laughs> and which I love. It's, it's, it's very fun and playful. And again, it's just these kind of whiplashes when something when something pops in there. And, you know, unfortunately, we are on a live radio and the FCC, yes. <laughs> FCC regulates, regulates the kind of language that we can use. But before we before we before we listen to a, a slightly edited version of American Sex Cento, I was wondering if you just talk like, you know, how do you see profanity or vulgar language functioning as a rhetorical device for you? You know, it's, it's funny because I'm just plainly a potty mouth in my everyday <laughs> it life. It just comes Maybe natural. It's hard for, for me to resist. Um, but I think profanity itself is a motif in, in, this, in this collection as a whole. And also there's something oddly contemporary about the presence of curse words in, in, in poetry. I think the first time I ever like read a poem with a curse word, I was like, whoa, like it kind of shook me. Um, you know, poetry being this this place that feels like a cathedral, really. Um, you know, poetry being this very culturally, you know, high high culture kind of art form. And you know, the first time you see you know a cover, you're like, oh my gosh, they're they're modernizing or they're they're bringing me down to earth or bringing me to my roots. Um, so there is a lot of like foul language in this this book. I mean, that is kind of playing into sort of our own kind of um, loosening up in American popular culture where there's like, you know, foul language everywhere. Um, but also just trying to say something um, about how the way the profane can kind of shake you or, 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 or at least sort of playfully, what I think of sort of more playfully in the poem kind of, you know, deceives the reader into believing that I am, you know, the, the speaker of the poem is someone who can be trusted for their cultured manner and then, you know, hit them over the head, you know, with something they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe they said that or they, they printed that. Um, I think that's sort of the fun of the book, but I guess not safe for, for work. You know, you, you 
you show up at your desk with a book that says American Sex Tape, you know, with a trademark symbol, people are going to be like, what are you reading? <laughs> yeah, when, when I had a, uh, when I had an email in my inbox with the title line American Sex Tape, I had to, you know, <laughs> I, had to, I had to quickly file that away, but, you know. Also, I was like, no, it's about poetry. It's 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 high art. Um, no, and and the 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 again, it's it, it it is those kind of jarring experiences that that it seems to be a, a motif that runs throughout this book in a variety of different ways. So, right. uh, I would love to hear you read American Sex Sinto. And again, for our listeners, this will be the edited version, uh, edited for radio. Uh, but I, you know, all the more reason to pick yourself up a copy. And before you read, can you ex- quickly explain to us what is what is the form of a cinto and and oh, and, and kind of what 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 went into uh, making this particular poem? I I thought the 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 cinto itself is an ancient Greek poet, poetic form, um, and kind of the simplest language, um, poets, storytellers, kind of musicians in ancient Greece would take lines from other poets, um, literal, like their, their lines, lyrics, almost like sampling in hip hop, kind of taking those lines and create a new poem, create a new song with those lines. And this is essentially what this, this poet, um, this poem, American Sex Sento is, is uh, a number of lines from other um, American international um, poets, um, lines from love poems, love, lines from poems about American politics. Um, and so that is the cento form in a nutshell, and I will get started. American Sex Cento. I hear America singing, you are the one. I am lit for the whole boatload of sensitive BS. An artfully placed penis swung from the end of a rope like a flag mossy and thumping, bare of logic, red. I love you slush into blossom empty eagle, devouring all in haste, destroyer, builder. I'm totally into strapping on the belt of dynamite and helpless, trembling bondage. The free, who said the free, not me. I never understood desire until I felt your hands around my throat. You may stand upon me, but do not hide your face. Can't find what you can't see, can you? America, the beautiful night is about to blow up. When the apocalypse comes, so will we. You're listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I'm your host, Andrew Thomas. We just heard poet Jamika Williams read from the opening poem of her 2022 debut poetry collection, American Sex Tape TM. It is such a uh, it is such a fiery and kind of arresting way to begin. Uh, It's kind of like an opening salvo that that, that starts this collection. Mm -hmm. I I see I see Walt Whitman in here. I see Langston Hughes. Um, you know, and I know, I know you list some of the, the other, the other poets and, you know, I, th- I think it was like 12 or 13 different poets that, that, that went into this. And to my mind, it, it's kind of setting up the, the feel for the, for the rest of the collection, because it's, it's these, it's these little snippets that are being brought together, um, into this, uh, into this collection. Um, and it's interesting to see the different ways that, um, these disparate sources are brought together under kind of some some umbrella uh, that is American sex tape. And so let me quickly ask Jade, are we doing okay? Do we need to jump to a do we need to jump to a to a break or you know, um I don't I don't like to to do this, but when you guys don't when you don't pledge, we have to we have to go to a break. So I think we got to go to a, just a little bit a brief break. Um, let's, let's leave American sex into ringing in our ears yes. for a moment, and yes. and and let's just let's just think about this. Like, where else in Madison are you going to be able to find local programming where we are interviewing up and coming poets, award mm-hmm. award winning poets, extended interviews, hearing them read from their collections. Yeah, we have venues where you can go and hear readings, uh, but you know you're in the comfort of your own home right now. You're in the comfort of your car. You're in the slight discomfort of your office cubicle, maybe listening to this uh, as as you work. But it, again, it just this this program itself 
underscores the importance of WORT for bringing uh, interesting original content uh, to the Madison listening audience. Yeah, you know, I also I think something about Madison Bookbeat and a lot of the other shows that we do these are available after the show, right? Maybe you right now are listening um, later today or you're listening a few weeks from now. Um, but part of our our show is making sure that you have access to the web postings. And, um, you know, those things those things aren't free and we, we need your support to make them happen. Um, so by, you know, calling in now or if you're, again, if you're listening tomorrow you can you can donate and and just put in your donation that uh madison book beat is a show that you really appreciate uh, you can go online to wortfm.org or you can call this the station at 608-256-2001 extension one and cynthia mary joy and amy are standing by waiting to take your call and uh yeah it's it's just a it's a great opportunity to show support for a station that gives so much to the community. And as volunteers, we love giving. Uh, we, we love giving to this station, and um, we want to try and bring in as many other folks as we can who can support the, the quality programming that, that, that WART uh, has come to be known by. Yeah, and I, I also think that if you, if you just sit down and you were to think for a minute how much you listen to WORT, you know, maybe you are someone who listens to your commute, um, and, and that's all the t- that's all the time that you listen. But that's, you know, five hours a week, you know, that's five hours a week that you are getting commercial free, um, you know, just coming through your airways. Great radio. And what is that worth to you? You know, is it worth ten dollars a month? You know, maybe uh, you could become a, a monthly donor and you just have uh, $10 that come out of your account that you don't really remember uh, happen and you don't even really notice is gone, um, but we notice because it allows the station to keep running. Um, so however you think, however much you think this show, uh, this station is worth in your life, you know, let that reflect um, in the donation that you give to WORT. Yeah, we got about another 20 minutes or so, and I think we're looking for uh, four more folks to, to, to call in, to go online, WORT.org, um, click the big orange button to donate, call, talk to our receptionists, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I also, I just want to point out that um, Madison Book Beat only happens on Mondays, so this is your last chance to donate during the, the winter pledge drive. Um, and you can go online to six o, or you can go online to wortfm.org, or you can call the station at 608-256-2001. If you're listening right now, we we need we need you. Um, you know, the person who's listening to this you, right now, right you, there. you, you. Um, it's easy to think someone else will call, someone else will donate. But if you know you've never donated, let this be the first show. Uh, we will. Uh, thank you profusely. Um, but until then, I think we can go back to our conversation. Um, just so that number is in your ears again, 608-256-2001, extension 1. Thank you, Jade. Uh, you are listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I am your host, Andrew Thomas. We are speaking with Jamika Williams about her 2022 poetry collection, American Sex Tape TM. It's such a provocative title, we got to talk about it. American <laughs> Sex Tape. And y'all will notice if you're listening, I keep saying TM. It is there. It is part of the title. We will get to that. I'm interested in the American Sex Tape part as a, as a title for a book of poetry. So I was thinking back as I was preparing for this interv- interview that, to my mind, the phenomenon of the, of the leaked sex tape became a thing in popular culture with the rise of the Internet in like the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. I, remember, I remember seeing headlines, I think it was about like Paris Hilton and Pamela Anderson's tapes getting out and these being big scandals at the time. So I was curious, what was intriguing to you about the genre of the sex tape as as inspiration for a poetry collection? Um, for me, it, it was a lot about sort of the, the the taboo of what you what you're not allowed to see or what you're not supposed to see or seeing someone in their most intimate, vulnerable, um, maybe most grotesque space. Um, 
you know, it became, you know, as you already said, Andrew, it's it's such a salacious part of our cultural consumption with a celebrity sex tape leaks. Um, in a way, I think what, what was funny um, about this title is American sex tape not only sort of encapsulating sort of a motif of this book about sort of America's own complicated history um, culturally with sex and the often the the victimhood of women or marginalized people when it comes to sex in 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 this country. Um, in a way, I felt like I was leaking America's own sex tape by saying, "Hey, this is what <laughs> you know. This is how America really has sex, which is it's messy and it's." It's got a lot of power imbalances, and it is it is full of um, winners and losers in that way. Um, but also, sort of the, the the kind of really true story behind it is like this: this book had a number of terrible titles <laughs> for this one, and it really was um, my thesis advisor in my MFA program, uh, Simone Mensch, who came up with the title, and she goes oh my gosh, do not put this on social media. It's such a good title. If this ever gets out published, someone's going to steal this title. And so um, the trademark TM at the end of the title is actually kind of an in-joke between she and I (laughs) and that like, hey, like, let's put a trademark on this. Like, no one can steal this. This is yours, Um, which is very funny. And I, I get really wonderful questions about it. They're like, why, why, why would you trademark this? It's a meaningless trademark, you know? but it was very much like, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna pay me for this brilliant title," kind of thing. So it's a funny kind of in joke, but it also does play into one of those motifs of commodification in in our culture. It's something where you would think sex shouldn't be commodified. Healthy sex wouldn't be, you know, equitable and fair sex wouldn't be. Um, and so the trademark kind of nods at the way that American culture has commodified sex in that way. It, I mean, the, the, the trademark, it seems, it, it, dare I say, it just seems so American, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and the, the American and, and, and the title, it's just like it, it, it hits, it hits spot on. Um, so I, I've got, I've got to ask what, what is it about Kim Kardashian that she she's she really does seem to be kind of a linchpin or you know if we want to talk mm-hmm. she, she she seems to be a trope for for you throughout 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 this collection and so she's the spectacle um what is it about about her kind of celebrity or just the kind of the kind of aura for lack of a better word that surrounds her uh what is it that 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 drew you in and, and made it a topic of 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 what I would consider like cultural criticism, to be honest, like the, I feel like American sex tape is kind of cultural criticism on uh, the celebrity of Kim Kardashian and celebrities like her. But what about that draws you in? Yeah, I think I started this book in such a sensitive place, which is being 25 years old. Um, and you're still kind of figuring out what your body means to you, what your sexuality means to you. Um, what your value mean to you in all these things. And at that time, I was, for some reason, glued to shows like TMZ and Entertainment Weekly, and, or, and she was on all the time. And there was something about this, this, this woman who's also a mother, who was at the time a wife, but is also one of the most looked at sold, reproduced products in American culture. Um, I thought it it was, I I find her fascinating in that way as uh, a commodity to deconstruct who also happens to be a human being. Um, And at the time, there were, there, and I mean, it continues, but at the time there was a huge backlash about cultural appropriation, the idea of sort of black women in the limelight not nearly receiving as much, um, I guess, credit for her style look, for Kim Kardashian's style, for the, you know, for her presence, for her sexuality and how she owns it. Um, 
there was a lot to deconstruct and, and, and unpack with Kim Kardashian. But it, it, it ultimately became almost like personal, you know, in a sense of like, why, why does she make me feel this way about my own self-image? And a lot of the poems sort of deal with that, of looking at sort of almost the ideal woman, you know, mm-hmm. in, 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 our, in our culture, in, in pop culture, and sort of comparing myself, but also wondering why do I compare myself? And how am I being sort of bought and, and sold in a, a, a kind of unrealistic beauty standard in that way? Um, I have a lot of like feelings, mixed feelings at the beginning of the book. It was easy to kind of punch down at Kim Kardashian as I continue to write and, and, you know, and just get wiser and older and feel a little bit more security in um, talking about sort of these kind of social cultural issues that face like black womanhood and coming into black womanhood. Um, I started to feel bad for Kim. There was a weird point where I was like, I need to start rehabilitating Kim Kardashian's image <laughs> or I need to start treating her like the, the human being that she is. It was is sort of, I think for readers, that'll be an interesting thing to wrestle with because it's easy to laugh at her. Um, and it's also kind of hard to forget that she too is um, an, an active participant in her own kind of shackling to these sexist, uh, racist ideas. Um, but also in, in a strange way, she's not a victim, but there is some, there's some kind of sense, especially in, in certain parts of the feminist movement of like, no one is unshackled from these, these, these things. Um, so yeah, very, you know, Kim, <laughs> Kim Kardashian being my, my favorite social media <laughs> obsession. <laughs> well, and, and what I, what I, what I loved about it is, you know, this is a literary talk show, so I can, I can make this reference. I think a lot of folks will, will, will get it. As I was reading your work too, I, I, I saw a lot of Toni Morrison in it, particularly her, I believe her first novel, uh, The Bluest Eye, yes. that is thinking mm-hmm. about white beauty standards, how that gets imposed on, um, in, in that novel, uh, you know, young, young African-American women and how that affects their, their development, both as, as, as women and as, and, 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 and as black women. And so Mm -hmm. it, it, it seemed there were some really strong resonances of that, that Kim Kardashian was allow you to, um, to open up to a, a really interesting conversation that, that, uh, that Toni Morrison started with w- with with that novel, and I had, in in getting ready for this um in getting ready for this interview, I came across something that said you know Toni Morrison was very influential to you in the in the writing process. Um, could you w- was can I just ask was was the bluest eye was was that kind of a formative aspect of this of this work? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um... The Bluest Eye is one of my favorite Toni Morrison novels. I may have um, just asked a ridiculous question. I may have just asked, was was Toni Morrison influential? And the answer is, of course, yes. But I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, not a ridiculous question at all, because I love Toni Morrison. I could talk about her forever. Um, I think more in, in sort of even getting into um, – Everyone should just read The Blue Eye, but also just find Toni Morrison's interviews. <laughs> find her interviews. This woman talked about the, the, the dehumanization of black women so well, and, but then she, she does something very radical, which is she says, this is how you humanize us, and this is how I do the work of revealing beauty where people were trying to steal it from specifically from black women. Um, you could also, you know, speak to, to, you know, her kind of bringing beauty back to black men in her book, Song of Solomon, um, which I also was reading. I, I read Blue Eye at the beginning of this, of writing American Sex Statement, then read Song of Solomon at the end of writing it. Um, but Toni Morrison's there too. I also just want to bring in a, the Color Purple by Alice Walker mm-hmm. is actually another novel that um, 
not many novels had an influence with the, you know, Blue Eye and the Color Purple, which also is dealing with a, a black abused woman who has been deemed ugly by her, her own community, you know, and how she finds beauty in art and expression and freedom um, in other black women. Um, that also had a huge impact on me, um, as well as Toni Morrison. Um, if we're talking about the kind of prose, you know, inspirations versus like the straight poetic inspirations for this, this book. You were listening to Madison Bookbeat, and I am your host, Andrew Thomas. And today we are talking to Jamika Williams about her 2022 poetry collection, American Sex Tape. Uh, we got about eight minutes left. Uh, eight minutes left in the show, and we do want to get uh, to one more poem um, uh, for for you to read, Jamika. But before we get there, I very quickly want to ask you a question about music. I want to talk about music for for, yeah. for a second. Uh, music played an important role uh, in the composition process for you, and I know you mentioned a number of musicians in your acknowledgments. Um, in addition to that, you have a really awesome Spotify list that accompanies the American Sex Tape uh, release, and you know it has Solange on there. It has Erica Badu. It has Ari Lennox. It has Frank Ocean, some Radiohead, uh, some Fiona Apple, and I'm just curious. You know, here we are on on a local public radio station that plays a lot of really interesting interesting music that has really interesting music programming. And I'm just wondering if first you can talk about, you know, what was the role of music in composing uh, this collection of short stories for you? Um, and also just, you know, how does how does public radio, how do public services in your own community, how do they affect um, how do they affect your daily life? For sure. I think, um, oh, my gosh, music is kind of the first place I go for inspiration. Um Specifically because I, I feel like I'm trying to write poetry that has certain rhythms um, in common with R&B, in, in common with um, kind of the, the slickness of hip-hop or just the, sort of the poetic complexities of, you know, songwriters like Tom York and Fiona Apple. Um, and so um, it was it was funny to me that I was coming back to these artists a lot to try and, you know, how I said earlier, I was like, I, I have a tin ear. I'm terrible with meter. I could, could not, cannot do a sonnet to save my life. But listening to music kind of helped me try to write sonically. It is like, how do I want this punchline to fall? How do I want the kind of mood of the poem to kind of shift? Um, how do I want it to sound provocative? Um, I came to music a lot for that, and I think um, I'm probably speaking for, like, the majority of any kind of poet or even visual artist. A lot of them love music. <laughs> you know, music is one of those universal spaces that inspires a lot. Um, and so um, I'm here in Chicago, which has an amazing music scene and, and an historical music scene has wonderful local radio stations that are always um, very much like WORT are putting on sort of the emerging voices. Um, and so I, I'm glad you asked about this because I, I made that Spotify playlist and thought no one was going to ever find this. this oh, I, I was rocking out to it all morning. So uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say like, Oh, read the book and also listen to a playlist at the same time. But if you need some mood music, if you want to kind of get into the headspace of some of the um, kind of the attitudes of these poems, whether they're kind of this slick, uh, like you want me type poem or this like I'm condemning American politics type poem. Go to that playlist and play some of those songs. You'll kind of see what headspace I was in for this for writing this book. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, on that note, can we finish with you reading your poem? The new American girl doll is no longer a slave. Uh, we would love to hear that, and then uh, we'll, we will hear from Jade one more time. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jamika. The new American girl doll is no longer a slave. The gates are flung. I dog the bones, worming gardens for sour fruits to drink, 
sticky stimulants in the new throes, busting rocks with my teeth, my throat growing longer, a crane I bleat. My flower has changed her veins, arteries of a map. The only out is through the trap, the mouth, the navel. Sons of the union, having made me post-existence, anything can become me. I am hives blooming red across your chest. A memory, a shock of spring sympathies iced over, half monster from the train tracks, slicking her fleas, slut, skank, sphinx, Medusa, Madonna, Mammy. With the right conditioning you believe, I can show you who you are and a more perfect union. Had you just known, remained cautious, you would have smelled me coming. I cradle your acute skull, slip my knife between rib and breast, the horror of my perfection. I god you. I devil dance, two caked feet, little myths, prophecies from a tapping tongue. Now I get it. I understand what liberty had always known. I'm post-post-colonial, sentenced to casually die, for I am forgiven. That is Jamika Williams reading from her 2022 Brittingham Prize-winning poetry collection, American Sex Tape, TM. Jamika, it's been a pleasure having you on Madison Bookbeat. Thank you so much. It was, you know, this was amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for engaging with this book so deeply. Yeah. And in the studio, we have great news. Sarah, you were the winner of today's show. I mean, we were all the winner of today's show because the show was just uh, really beautiful. Um, But Sarah, you are our donor for the hour. You got the wart embroidered patch. And we thank you so much. Um, If you are listening, you still have about a minute to go in and make it count for Madison Book Beats, uh, 608-256-2001, extension 1, or go online to wortfm.org. You are listening to WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. What a great show, Andrew. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, It went way too fast. I could talk to to Jamika for a couple more hours, but... um, yeah, you got you got forty seconds, y'all. You got thirty-eight seconds, thirty-seven. <laughs> I can't I can't keep it up. We'll, um, we'll count down forever. Yeah. All right. Have a great Monday, everyone. Up next is the kiosk.